welcome again tonight. We have another opportunity to worship as a church family. In fact, over the next five weeks, we're going to have opportunities together on four of those five Sundays. And many of you have expressed this desire. So I'm counting on seeing you this evening in our back parking lot at 7 p.m. Bring your chairs and come ready just to encourage other people as we worship together as a church family. My guess is you've probably heard that phrase, you can't see the forest for the trees. This is an expression that is often used of someone who is just way too involved in the details of a problem to be able to look at the situation or the problem as a whole. And we've, we've all done that, haven't we? We've missed the big picture because we're so focused on where we're looking, we can't see it. You know, we get so involved with 15 diapers a day that it's difficult to see the joy of this brand new baby. We get so caught up with the negative campaign ads that we forget what a great country we live in and enjoy. Or we get so annoyed and frustrated with the traffic that we fail to remember how amazing technology is today and how far we can go so quickly. And in our spiritual life, this can happen to us. I mean, we get so caught up in our day-to-day -day life that we fail to remember how good God is. And so thankfully, God has a way of diverting our attention if we will just look up. So back in 1994, our family was taking a great vacation and one of our stops was Mount Rushmore. So how many of you have been to Mount Rushmore? Type in the year that you visited Mount Rushmore in the chat box down there. Anyway, we came uh, at night, one of the first times we visited. Here's a couple of very high quality photos. Again, this was 94, right? There are the four faces in the background, but what I love most is the expression of our kids. We're standing there viewing this amazing sight when we noticed that there were so many different people not looking at the four faces, but they were looking at something back behind us. So. We saw that and so we turned to look where everybody else was looking and there was this amazing double rainbow in the sky. It, it was kind of like God's way of saying, yeah, that's a pretty cool carving, but look at what I can do. And I am so thankful that in the midst of my narrow-minded focus, that God has a way of helping me to look up and pay attention to him. And that's why we're in this series, Eyes Up, Anchors Down. It can be so easy for our attention to be diverted onto our busyness or our struggles or our priorities or our needs that it, we lose sight of Jesus Christ. And so this series is about helping us to get our eyes up on Jesus and our anchors down in his word. And our key passage we started with this last Sunday, right? Is Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. So I want you to say that out loud with me, okay? We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. So now I want to challenge you to memorize Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. In fact, parents, I want to encourage you to help your kids do that. Have them write it out on a piece of paper using crayon or something like that. Then have them hold it up and take a picture of them. 
and send it to us or post it on our Facebook account. Hebrews 2.1, we must therefore pay the most careful attention to what we've heard so we don't drift away. So today, we help us turn our eyes up through prayer. Now, what is prayer? I mean, in its simplest form, prayer is just having a conversation with God. Eugene Peterson said this, prayers are tools, but with this clarification, prayers are not tools for doing, but for being and becoming. And it was two years ago that we kicked off our small group study in the fall um, by looking at the Lord's Prayer and this great model that we have that Jesus gave us. But today we turn not to Jesus, but to the brother of Jesus, James, who was a key leader in the church. And he provides us some important and very interesting teaching on the subject of prayer. So here's where we're going today. To keep our eyes on Jesus, we must remember that prayer is an everyday need. So I'm going to read from James chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. Open your Bible, the YouVersion app. Um, you can click the Bible tab on the screen there. But let me read this to you, and then let's dig in and study it together. James chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is any among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wonder from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. So in our passage here, James helps answer two very important questions about prayer. Question number one, when should we pray? When, when is it that we should spend time praying? James was written, as I mentioned a moment ago, by the brother of Jesus, who was one of the key leaders in the church in Jerusalem. And what's interesting about James is he would have gone from an unbeliever, you know, before Jesus died on the cross. Now here he is a fully fledged believer, leader, disciple of Jesus Christ. But what I love about the book of James is how simple and practical this whole book is, which is true of our passage, though it has great significant meaning to us about this topic of prayer. And so the theme of our passage is the theme of prayer, whether it's you know, the prayer of an individual like you and me, the prayers of an elder, um, the praying of friends and companions for one another, or even the prayer of a righteous prophet, a guy by the name of Elijah. So are you somebody who prays? You may be the type of person who saves prayers just for those special occasions, right? When world peace is on the line or your football team really needs a touchdown. Or maybe you're a person who prays about literally everything. 
You know, Lord, help me not to lose it with my kids today. Lord, help me to find a good parking spot. What James, in his very practical way, does is he tells us that, you know what? You can pray about anything at about any time. So the other day, Eliana, our granddaughter, was hanging out with Nana. And then I came home for lunch. I mean, she was so excited to see me. And she just started jabbering on telling me about something that she was doing with Nana. And she was so excited. And she had such a joyful expression on her face. I couldn't understand a word that she was telling me, but she had my undivided attention because of my love for her. And our Heavenly Father, God gives us His undivided attention no matter what we want to talk with Him about. So are you hurting? You need to pray. Are you thrilled with life? You need to pray. Are you sick? Have others pray. Are you drifting from the Lord? Get your friends help to pray for you. Prayer should not be our last resort, but our anytime practice. So according to James, when is it okay to pray? So here are the occasions that James reveals to us that it's okay to pray. And there are others. It's not limited to this. But the first one is when suffering. He says in verse 13, is any among you in trouble? Let them pray. So the first opportunity for praying is suffering or trouble. So this would be a hardship, especially a hardship that is come that comes as a consequence of living out our faith. The topic of suffering is very visible in this letter of James. He begins his letter with the topic of suffering in James chapter 1 and verse 2. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials. That's that word of many kinds. And he is, in our chapter 5, just spoken in these previous verses, talking about having patience in the face of suffering. And so James is well aware that life, and perhaps especially the Christian life, is one in which we experience trouble and in such a way that we may feel tempted to call the goodness of God and of our fellow human beings into question. In such times, James says, pray. It is a response that allows us to be active and positive, and it keeps us in communication with our Heavenly Father. I had to tell you, I have certainly been praying about our church and the difficulties that we're facing through this season. I mean, COVID has hit our community and our church hard, and many of you are struggling personally and spiritually. And it's been so difficult knowing that we have those in our church family who are slipping and drifting away. It is so painful to my heart. We have others who are frustrated, you know, with some of the decisions that have been made about not being able to meet yet. What will the impact be on the faith of those who call Wildwood Christian Church their home. I feel at times a little bit like the Apostle Paul when he speaks about the burden of those who are part of his churches. Is that a time to pray? Absolutely. Turn to the Lord. Can you pray when you are in trouble? Yes, that's a time to pray. Another time to pray is when you're happy. He goes on in verse 13, Is anyone happy? Then let them sing songs of pray. You know, we, we feel the need, I think, to turn to God when life is rough. But James encourages us, you need to pray to God, God when life is good. 
to, to sing a song, right? He says, sing songs of praise. To sing a song of praise is, is a form of prayer. It's a direct communication to God. We, we're demonstrating our gratitude to God for what he has done in our lives, and we're voicing it. Now, he doesn't say that your singing has the sound good, right? Just that it, it comes from your heart, that it's an honest expression from inside of us. So can you pray when you're happy? Absolutely. There's another time you can pray, and that is when you are sick. He says that in verse 14. Is any among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, for most of us, this is the typical occasion in which we most often pray, right? When we're sick, when we're hurting, or someone we love is sick and hurting. This is a fairly common time of prayer for most of us. But the word sick here that James uses literally means without strength. You are totally wasted. You're fatigued. You're bedridden. You're unable to work. This isn't just acid indigestion or post-nasal drip, right? I mean, the guy that he's speaking about here, she, she has a serious illness that is keeping them from doing anything. It's a word most frequently used in the New Testament for illness. It was the same word describing Lazarus. When Lazarus got sick, he died. It's the same word to describe Dorcas when she died. And the same word to describe the man at the pool of Bethesda who sat there for years and years and years, and he didn't have, here it is, enough energy to get up and get into the pool. And so James is talking about a very serious illness here. So can you pray when you are sick and ill? Absolutely. The last time or time that we can pray to the Lord is when we are struggling with sin. And this is the one I think that might possibly catch most of us off guard because when it comes to sin, we don't really want other people to find out about it. But look at what James commands here in verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other, what? And pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. What do most of us do? We struggle with sin privately, right? Until it's like we're utterly defeated. And James tells us to put that mutual confession and that team prayer into effect early on. James was well aware that sin is most dangerous to an isolated believer. Sin seeks to remain private and secret, but God wants it exposed and dealt with in the loving fellowship of other believers. Therefore, James calls for mutual honesty and mutual confession as believers pray for one another. Maintaining open sharing and praying relationships with other Christians. That'll help keep believers, you and I, from bottoming out in our spiritual lives. Such relationships help give the spiritual strength that provides the victory over sin. And they also provide godly pressure to confess and forsake sins before they become too overwhelming to the point of total spiritual defeat. So how many times... Have you confessed your sin to a fellow believer or follower of Jesus and asked them to pray for you? Sadly, this is a very neglected power of the Christian life. Shared burdens mean shared strength. 
So does that mean that we should have a time every gathering in which, you know, we all just stand up and air all our dirty laundry? No, it doesn't mean that. I mean, there's some extreme examples where public confession of sin is scriptural. But James is speaking about sharing with those we love and we trust in the family, like our small groups, who will keep this confidence, but will pray for us, will share our burdens, will help hold us accountable. In fact, notice he takes it even a step further. Verse 19, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Do you see the sense of responsibility we have for one another in our church family? You know, we're not talking about having sin watchers. Oh, you're sinning. Oh, look at you. Where a couple of people appoint themselves as the one who watch over what everybody else is doing. And when they see someone, they point it out and they say, Sinner! We're not, we're not talking about this. We're not walking this path towards heaven alone. We're in this together. But how often do we hide out? Do we, you know, become the lone ranger? This was never the intent of Jesus. I mean, he picked 12 men to work together as leaders of the church. And James, he is wanting us to see the multitude of times and circumstances that it's great to pray. In fact, I have in your notes there what John Blanchard wrote. He said, when the world is on top of you, pray. And when you are on top of the world, pray. God our Father wants to hear from you all of the time. Now in verse 13, when James teaches, let them pray. If anyone's among you in trouble, let them pray. That, the wording suggests a continual pleading with God in prayer. It could be translated, let them keep on praying. When life is difficult, when believers are weak in faith or weary in persecution or crushed by affliction, they must continually plead with God to come to their aid. This is a basic spiritual truth, but one that is most often forgotten. So question number one is this, when should I pray? And the answer is continually. And the second important question that James helped to answer is this, how do I know that my prayers will be answered? I think most of us struggle with prayer, wondering how we should pray. You know, is there a correct formula? Maybe we feel pressured to, to pray, you know, and somehow or another our prayers are supposed to look like this. Greg, would you like to say grace? Oh, uh, well, uh, Greg's Jewish dad, you know that. You're telling me the Jews don't pray, honey? Unless you have some objection. No, 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 I'd love to. Pam, come on, it's not like I'm a rabbi or something. I said grace at many a dinner table. Oh, dear God, thank you. You are such a good God to us, a, a kind and gentle and 
accommodating God. And we thank you, O oh sweet, sweet Lord of hosts, for the smorgasbord you have so aptly lain at our table this day and each day by day, day by day by day. Oh, dear Lord, three things we pray. To love thee more dearly, to see thee more clearly, to follow thee more nearly, day by day by day. Amen. Amen. Oh, Greg, that was lovely. Thank you, Greg. That was interesting, too. So the second question is this, how do I pray effectively? And James gives us a couple of requirements. Number one, I can pray effectively when I have faith in God. Look at verse 14 and 15. Is any among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer, here it is, offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up if they have sinned, that they will be forgiven. So first of all, what does James mean here when he states, if he has sinned, he will be forgiven? It almost sounds like the person is sick because of some sort of sin in their life. So biblically, there are four different kinds of sickness. The Bible says that there is first a sickness for death. In other words, there's going to be an illness someday that you and I will never recover from because God doesn't want you to live on this earth indefinitely. I mean, if every sickness could be healed by faith, then anybody who had a lot of faith, they would never die. So there is a sickness for the purpose of taking you on home to heaven. There's also a sickness for living in a fallen world. I mean, when Adam sinned, this world began to decay. And that decay brought with it disease and sickness. And so because we're in a world that has fallen from God, we're going to get sick. Not because you're going to die. Not because you necessarily sinned. But simply because you are human. Now, you need to beware because some people blame all of their problems on Satan. Now, on the other hand, Jesus did teach that there is a lot of sickness that we bring upon ourselves. If I don't take care of my body or eat right or sleep right or exercise right, then I'm in danger of all kinds of ailments coming on me. So number three, there is a sickness for discipline. The purpose for a sickness for discipline, which is covered in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, there Paul is talking about a, some of them were abusing communion to the Lord's Supper. And Paul said because they were abusing the Lord's Supper, that was the reason some of them were sick. And so the Lord is disciplining you because you're out of the will of God. And so we, when we sin, it does bring a sickness into our lives, or it can and the fourth kind of sickness is a sickness for the glory of God. The sickness for glory of God is a sickness that God has allowed in your life simply because he wants to heal you of it and let it be a testimony to the world. 
In John eleven four, a man came to Jesus who was ill and blind, and the disciples said, Lord, who sinned, him or his parents? And Jesus said, nobody sinned, but this is a sickness for the glory of God. And then he healed that guy, and it brought glory to God. And so there are biblically four kinds of sickness, for death, for living in a fallen world, for discipline, and sickness for the glory of God. And it is this last kind that... God wants to heal. So back to our passage from James. What is the command from James? Notice he says there to call upon the elders during time of sickness. Why should we do that? To pray for you. This is this shared times. In other words, again, the Christian life is never meant to be lived alone. Rather, we're, we're a family that we should be encouraging one another and supporting one another. And one of the key means of this support is by praying for one another. And so what is this practice about calling on the elders? What, what is this practice all about? So we know that God is the source of all healing, right? This anointing, as he says there, is to be done in the name of the Lord. Now, part of this, we need to have an understanding of the biblical role of an elder in the church. So an elder, you look at and see it throughout the New Testament, they're spiritually mature disciples who are commissioned by God to lead individual churches. And we have several men who are elders or who are shepherds here at Wildwood Christian Church. Tony French, Marvin Raymond, Ralph Nelson, Bob Moore, Ed McClellan, Tim Chelsevic, and myself. And so... According to James, what's supposed to happen here? Look again in verse 14. Is any of you uh, among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. So what happens? The sick person calls for the elders of the church. So, in other words, the sick person initiates this response. And what do they do? They pray over them. The sick person is the reason for their prayers right now. They anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. That was a, an Old Testament practice. It was just to be able to just kind of say, this is what we're focusing in on right here. We're praying specifically for your need I mean, this is a very ne neglected ministry of the church, but it's so vital, James says. But what about the part that says the prayer offered in faith? How much faith is needed for my prayers to be answered by God? Now, confidence in God is the key, right? So the question would be, would you rather cross a weak bridge with a strong faith or a strong bridge with a weak faith? Would you rather go across a bridge that looks like this or like this? Or would you rather cross a bridge that looks like this? What's the key? The key is confidence in God. It isn't the amount of faith that we have. Rather, it is the whom that we have that faith in. The prayer offered in faith, in faith in God and what God can do. That's what makes the sick person well. 
So Doug, is this some kind of a magic formula to heal me? You know, I say the magic words and everything. No, this is just an example of how the church family can be a support to one another. We move from just me praying all by myself to my invitation to invite the church family to be involved. And James is revealing that the healing isn't about me or even about those elders who come, but it's about God and God's work and God's power. And so to have prayer answered is to know in my heart that God has the power and the ability to heal and I trust in his will. If he heals, that's amazing. And if he not, he doesn't heal, he's wiser than me and I still trust him. And if I want to have my prayers answered, then James reveals that I must have my faith in God, even if that faith is as small as a mustard seed. But it is in a God who can do absolutely anything. So requirement one, number one, faith in God and his way. And requirement number two is a righteous life. He says in verse 16, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, I, I struggle with this one a little bit because I know me. I know my mess-ups. I know my failings. If my prayers being answered are dependent upon my own righteous life, then I'm in trouble with the capital T. So let me remind you of something I have to remind myself of. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become, here it is, the righteousness of God. It's in Jesus Christ I'm righteous. Philippians 3, 9, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. See, I, I'm not righteous on my own. But when I put my faith and trust in Jesus, I receive righteousness because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So once I am given this righteousness and salvation, then I am given the directive to continue to live this righteous life. Romans 6.13, do not offer any parts of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him, here it is, as an instrument of righteousness. And Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.11, but you man of God flee from all this and pursue, here it is, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. So James is teaching us that if I am striving to live a God-honoring life, then I am made righteous by Jesus but I show that righteousness by trusting in God's way as best that I can. And so he gives us this great example of Elijah. Look at James 5, 16. He says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being. Even as we are, he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. Elijah was one of the most significant of the Old Testament prophets. And so some people see this example and think, you got to be a spiritual giant to, to get those kind of answers. I could never pray and see somebody healed, or I could never pray and see a financial miracle. 
So many Christians feel inferior. And so James uses Elijah as an illustration. The lesson of Elijah's life is this. You don't have to be perfect to pray. You don't have to be perfect to see answer to your prayers. Prayer is for ordinary followers of Jesus. 1 Kings 18, Elijah got alone with God and he humbled himself praying for rain. It says he prayed seven times. He was persistent in that prayer. He would not give up. And one day, a little cloud formed in the sky and he said, it's going to be a gusher. And the rains came and it flooded that place. And we learned that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things through prayer. So if I want God to hear my prayers and to answer them, then my faith in God and how I am living for Jesus is so crucial. So the question is this, will you and I keep our eyes upon the Lord through prayer? Listen as Brandy encourages us in this consistent prayer. Hey guys, to aid us in keeping our course in our relationship with Jesus, we need a consistent prayer life. So that's the anchor we're talking about today is consistent prayer. Now I understand for some of us that can be pretty hard, but it's a really great tool to keep our eyes up on Jesus because it's a direct line of communication to God that we get to have and use anytime we want. But I'm sure some of you guys have been like me. I in the past have treated prayer like a visitor center. It's something that I use when it go to when it's convenient or maybe somebody else wants to go or oh, I guess we'll stop today. There's a bit of time. Um, but that's not really how prayer is supposed to be treated. I need to treat prayer if I want it to be my anchor like it is my home. It is something I live in. It is something that I do daily. It's something that I'm doing throughout my day in order for it to be the anchor in my life, in my relationship with Jesus that it needs to be. In order for me to keep my eyes up and anchors down, I need to treat prayer like it's my home and not a visitor center. And I'm sure that some of you are the same way as me. Start small though. You don't have to start big with this. You can start small. Pray before meals. Maybe set a time during the day. Maybe whenever you first wake up that you're going to pray. But do something. Start something today that's going to help you have your eyes up and your anchors down through prayer. So start small. What a great encouragement for all of us. And we're providing this toolbox, these anchors to help you. And in fact, in the chat box right now is a link to this week's tool, Consistent Prayer. And you can find that video from Brandy and other resources through our social media this week. And in your small group this week, I want to encourage you to spend some time kind of brainstorming ways that prayer can help you keep your eyes up on Jesus. Because that's what we want for you, to keep your eyes on Jesus through prayer.